Welcome to the first ever episode of Inside TBT. I'm your co-host, Andrew Zolden, alongside with me, Joey Lane, and we have an awesome first episode for you guys. First, we're going to tell you a little bit about what Inside TBT is. Joe, take it away. Yeah, so I'm sure you guys are all here from seeing the, the video that was posted on Twitter by TBT. We are a part of the TBT. We are their podcast to give you guys, the listeners, inside information on what is going on. That comes in all different ways. We're going to interview some awesome guys from people who support TBT, people who coach for TBT, people who play in TBT. We're going to be posting interviews with them after they play, before they play, hearing about their stories, hearing about why they chose the TBT, hearing about how the TBT came to be. Um, just everything you'll need to know um, that you don't get just from Twitter and Instagram from the TBT, that's where we come in. Yeah, all things and everything TBT will be covered on Inside TBT. And we really proved that with this first episode where we have John Diebler on the show, member of Carmen's crew, the defending champs, Carmen's crew. And then we also have Nick Elam on the show, the originator and creator of the Elam ending, which Joey and I are in agreement about is really what makes TBT TBT and makes it so, so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we really did go try to make this first episode special. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know us, um, you know, I'm a, I've used to play basketball at Ohio State. Um, I have a connection to all the guys on Carmen's crew, all the guys on Big X, some guys um, around the TBT. And then, I, and then Andrew um, has been with me alongside on our little podcasting journey um, this whole time as he's a big Ohio State fan as well. So we tried to, you know, use our powers for good and bring you a great interview with John Diebler. And you guys will see that um, our interviews aren't the typical interviews that are just, uh, hey, you know, what's your favorite color and why? And, and how, how, what's your pregame meal typically before you play? And how do you get psyched up for a game? Like, no, 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 that's not us. So you'll see that we do ask some serious questions, but we also have some fun and give you some some candid responses and stuff that you might not see some other places. And and you'll see that our guests can kind of get into the interview and think one thing and leave, um, you know, becoming some of our best friends. And even more important than what we're going to do on this show is the fact that basketball will be played this summer and the TBT is going to make it happen. It's going to look a little different. There's only going to be 24 teams. But that means the bad teams are gone. The bad teams are we are weeded out. There's not going to be blowouts. There's going to be hard-fought, close games, all hopefully having Elam ending play into the effect and play into the end. You know, it's, a, it's addition by subtraction. You're going to see better quality games with hopefully the top 24 teams that have, have applied will be the teams in it. And, you know... <clears throat> TBT is starting to rank some of these teams now. You know, they are getting ready for the tournament. And the most recent power rankings that came out had the defending champs of Carmen's crew sitting up there at number one. Number two. Hard to argue. Hard to argue. You, they are the champs until beaten. They are the defending champs. proven otherwise. <laughs> number two, Bayheim's Army with the additions of Malachi Every Richardson. Number one draft pick that's ever right. been. Exactly. Yeah, not they, yet. And rumor, Bayheim's going to be coaching. What? No, Actually? just kidding. Just kidding. 
You know, like, they didn't tell us that in the meeting notes. Yeah, no. But and then the Volunteers up at third, Red Scare fourth. They added a couple of Dayton seniors that definitely will be out for redemption this year. They couldn't obviously. Sh- is redemption that? the right word? They just want to close their story. Yeah, they want some closure. Maybe that's closure. Yeah, word. they want closure, some- but a little bit of redemption too. Yeah, it's not. But they didn't. You know, it, no one beat them. You know, it's just yeah. the season got ended. But I hear you. Redemption is probably the right word. We can go with redemption. Fifth, fifth in the power rankings is Best Virginia. Best, not West. Best, which seems to have don't get put, confused. Which seems to have put together just an unbelievable roster overnight. Can, almost. Can we talk about Bob Huggins for a second, Coach Hugs, Huggy Bear? I th- he is so damn funny to me, and it's not because he's going to coach this team for free and give his money to charity and what if he's allowed to do blah, whatever. He goes back and forth on Twitter with every famous person that he comes in contact with. He's tweeting at Portnoy. He's tweeting at Big Cat. All these Barstool guys saying, come. He is exactly what I would be as a head coach. I'd be like, hey, Alicia Keys, you want to come out to a game? Hey, um, Elon Musk, I'd love to have you down for – I'll post you for a football game if you want. Like, <laughs> like, I used to do that when I was in school. Like, I remember I tweeted that, like, Ninja when Fortnite was big. I was like, Ninja, I know you're, you're from Illinois. You're from, like, 15 minutes from me. Like, I would be more than happy to host you at a game. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. I don't even know if I can host him at a game. I'm like, but let's send these tweets out. Come on. Like, one's got to yeah. stick. That's what he's doing. I think, I think the TBT should be scared, maybe regardless of whether or not Bob Huggins is coaching best Virginia or not, because – are, are we going to see a full-court press in the TBT for the first time ever? Well, let's not get it twisted because between Dave Lighty and Aaron Kraft, they're picking up full-court too. It's just not the same kind of run and jump. You know, if Rick Pitino and Bob Huggins were coaching, one of them would have a full-court press. Can you, imagine, can you imagine if Aaron Kraft played in a Bob Huggins defense? Yeah. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's possible for him to have more career steals than he did. But if he was in the Bob Huggins, like, full-court press all day, every day, all game, all night, he might have he broken every single record in the history of sports. Do you know the practice story about West Virginia? Have you heard of the treadmill? Mm-mm. Tell me. So, Tell the listeners. So, at West Virginia, I only know this because, well, it became famous, like, on game day or something a couple years ago, but also it became, came to my attention because our coaches tried to implement it as well. Um, basically, if you turn the ball over – you go on the treadmill and the treadmill is not just at like 10 speed one incline. It's at, it's at like 19, not literally 19 speed, but like it's at like 15 speed and it's got, and it's at like five incline and you have to run it for 30 seconds. And like, it's a full on sprint, obviously. So don't turn the ball over basically is, is how that works. But like you turn the ball over and Huggins just blows his whistle. He goes to the treadmill. (laughs) So we tried to do the same thing. Like we had, we had all different types of things. We had like that that bike that you got to push and the fan goes. You know, I forget what it's called. Like the it's called like some crazy name. We had that. Um, if you turn the ball over, and then we had like the we had sleds all the time. We always had to do sleds because that was quick and you could just get right into practice after that. Um, and it wasn't too like tiring, but it definitely proved the point that you don't want to turn the ball over and stuff. Um, I fortunately only had to do it like once because I was always on scout team. So like they were, not I was the mm-hmm. one getting the steals, not turning the ball over. If I did turn it over, it was just like, that's right. Joey's just trying to trying to play like they're playing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's trying to give you a good look. <laughs> so yeah, that's my, what, those are my few West Virginia takes is that Bob Huggins is an all time Twitter, like 
icon right now. And then also that they have the craziest practice. They, it doesn't matter if they're 32 and 0, they're going to practice for three hours and run sprints after. Yeah. I mean, they, they obviously are coming from a good system. Those players <laughs> that are on best Virginia. And if they had Bob Huggins behind them coaching, I mean, I, I think hypothetically, if, if there was an announcement like Bob Huggins in officially coaching, I think you see best Virginia, maybe jump above, Bayheim's army to number two in the, in the power rankings. And, and they probably get more players. Who knows? Bob Huggins might yeah. be like, oh, come on, so-and-so that has had had a four-year career in the NBA is, but is too tired to play now. Now he'll play, you know? Well, we, we talked with uh, uh, TBT co-founder Dan Friel on our, on our other podcast, Drive the Lane, and he said kind of the next big thing that he thinks is going to happen in TNT or in TBT is sorry, I was thinking about Florida TNT. The next thing, next big thing that's going to happen in the TBT is kind of like a, a overhaul of coaches where you start seeing like coaches actually coming into the TBT trying to like further that's their, their, year's their coaching career. Yeah, well, yeah, true. But they're also trying to like say, like, if I can win this tournament, I can take my c- career to the next level. So I think, I mean, obviously, Bob Huggins coaching would be a huge huge, huge step in the right direction of that coaching uh, carousel kind of changing. But even guys like Jared Sollinger coaching, I mean, that's, that's huge. Having guys like Evan Turner on the bench, like it's, it's it, Dockage, Dockage who I know he's, he's playing this year, but last year, cause he was injured. He was, he was just really the coach. Like that's, that's some good coaching pedigree. Like Dockage is the perfect example. Andrew Dockage, who is young, but is trying to kind of work his way up to become a coach. Like, why not try to win some games in the TBT? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think Andrew is the perfect example. Like you said, it is funny. We talked about it with John Deeler about how Andrew is sort of this Jackie Moon, where he is organizing this team. So he's the GM. He's co- he coached the team last year. He's the coach, and now he's playing. Back when he like he played the first year. So it's funny to see guys can affect TBT in so many different ways. For example, Jared Sollinger, who was the best player in the tournament two years ago. Last year, he was the coach who won it all. I mean, he's not playing this year. Um, it's clear that he is coaching in his future, and this is setting him up for, for a ton of success. Um, I think, like like Dan talked about, like you're saying, I think we see a lot of former players coach their alumni teams or coach their buddies or whatever. But either way, it's going to show, you know, that they have um, whatever. They have the, the tools to be successful as a coach. Or even more so, like Andrew Dockage is proving that he can create this team of Big Ten guys. Like, that's pretty impressive. There are guys from Wisconsin and Michigan State and Ohio State. And, like, whether you, whether it's connections or it's a great pitch that he does, um, it's clearly working. And they, you know, I know we'll mention them at some point in the power rankings, but they kind of have my heart, you know. They got all my teammates. Like like I said, I'm an I'm Ohio State fan, so I grew up watching all the guys on Carmen's crew. But, like, they Big X has my heart because – they have all my teammates, and, and it's hard. I, mm-hmm. I can't root against my teammates. Like, that's not possible. So Yeah. So, that's a good transition. Big X, sixth in the power rankings. And they're, they're adding guys left and right. The Wesson brothers, who, of course, as you just mentioned, were your teammates. They're, they – Nick Ward, that's a big deal. Right. I, I think that if they were four years later in their careers and their lives, they would be a much higher favorite. See, but, but there's, but there's gotta be, but there's advantages and disadvantages to being younger versus older. And I think and, that they are absolutely trying to play on the fresh legs, 
type of like, especially the the games are. It's not going to be over the course of months. It's going to be over the course of weeks. You know, this time with yeah. 2014. So yeah. I think that puts them at an advantage. Obviously, you got to win. You know, the first game, the second game, when every team is is quote unquote fresh. But from then on, like, it's definitely an advantage to be young when you get <clears> to, you know, playing those third and fourth games in a handful of days. Like, you know, Carmen's crew. They they talk about how their chemistry is off the charts, and that's what you know fatigue and and being old and old legs whatever that like the chemistry you know jumps them ahead of that stuff it's the reverse for big x like they might not have played together all of them you know but they're young so they can just run up and down the court and fly around right well i mean the first five teams in the power rankings are carmen's crew who all played together at some point in college in some way or another bayheim's army which is clearly syracuse guys that have you know connections and chemistry the Volunteers, which is the Tennessee alumni guys, they're obviously familiar with playing with each other. Red Scare at four, the Dayton guys, they've played with each other. And then Best Virginia, like we talked about for a couple minutes, that, that it's former teammates. And then you hit Big X, and you got guys from all over the Big Ten, and now Doc is just pulling guys from different conferences because he's he's the the Bill Belichick of, of yeah, he's just a puppeteer. Yeah, he's a puppeteer. Yeah, um, and then. Going forward in the power rankings, House of Pain, Illinois alumni. So that's there's another a team. There's, there's, a a, there's definitely a theme. And then number eight is Florida TNT. And that's guys that knew each other, that kind of all know each other. But that I, I think that's a similar chemistry thing. They have got – like Antonio Blakeney was, could, could go out and score 25 when he was on the Bulls. Yeah. He's just He's a an NBA guy who, like – they have like four guys on that team who I bet play pickup and yeah. can score score all twenty one points. Well, I think Antonio Blakeney is is my like sleeper candidate for MVP of TBT because well, he's he could, they gotta win the championship for him to be the MVP. Well, that's why he's my sleeper candidate. He easily <laughs> he easily could could come out and average twenty five in this tournament. Yeah. And then there's guys on that team also like Fletcher McGee. Like that's a lot of guys who can score and who can do a lot for you, but it's going to be interesting to see their chemistry versus a team that's been playing together for years. Their first Elam ending score is going to be like 138. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little, little, little spoiler. We, uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything. Never mind. We have a guy from that, from that team on. That's the, spoiler. we have a guy from that team that we had to kind of explain the Elam ending to. And it was, <laughs> it was funny to, so you'll, you'll hear that Thursday when our second episode drops. And then the 10th <laughs> team is team Heartfire which is like Isaiah Austin. It's kind of a bunch of guys that are, are TBT alumni that came together for this Team Heartfire team. And I, I think that's a team that's not talked about enough just because they have a lot of NBA talent on that team. Like, yeah. Isaiah Austin, roster. like Isaiah Austin is probably the most talented guy in the TBT, right? I mean, like, yeah. dude is seven foot with a jumper, handle the ball, great passer. Like, obviously – it's well documented that his NBA career didn't turn out the way it was supposed to, you know, but now he's back to playing basketball. And when you look at the top 10, obviously that's almost half the tournament. Um, but if you told me any one of those teams won, I would, I don't think I'd be surprised. I think some teams have a better chance. I think like, especially with this new format and everyone being con- kind of confused at what's going on type of deal, everyone's quarantined. I think that, you know, the Carmen Skrull on that team probably has some sort of advantage. I think the Syracuse team has some sort of advantage having played together and they know the structure of the TBT and they know the Elam ending and they, and they know everything about the the stress and pressure of playing in this kind of tournament. I think that puts them in an advantage, but there are other teams that 
are more than capable of winning, you know, winning <clears throat> handful of games, winning, well, you, you know. Well, you talk about Team Hardfire, who's got alumni like Isaiah Austin, Quincy Miller, that are Baylor alumni, and their coach is Homer Drew. Like, that's exactly what we were talking about. Like, there's good coaches in the TBT. And like you're saying, I, I think Bayheim's Army has a TBT experience advantage, but at the same time, this is a new this is a new version. They don't know what – no one knows no one what's has coming. An advantage. Throw, it, throw the record books out the door. Throw them out the window. Yeah. So, these are obviously some teams that we're excited about, but individual players that all of a sudden are just playing in the TBT are Nate Robinson – Joining That's team our Hold, hero. Joining team Hold That. We grew up as Bulls fans, and I He's remember our hero. him scoring 706 points when they were down 30. When to they the didn't Nets. have any players, and they were just like, hey, Nate, we're just going to need you to score 52 right. tonight. <laughs> right. We're going to need you to come off the bench, but be the best player. Okay. And then Mo Spates, Mo Spates, who has a ring, literally an NBA champion, it has signed up to play in TBT. I mean, this, this is the craziest tournament in the craziest year, 2020 of the world ever. So, I mean, I think that the sports fans of the world should consider themselves lucky that they have us to kind of have this podcast to Absolutely. navigate what could be the craziest tournament ever. Before we get to our interviews with, with John Diebler and Nick Elam, I think we've talked about some teams that we're excited about and why we're excited about them. And you mentioned some players just off the, t- off the cusp, like those are NBA guys. What about some guys that maybe they are trying to get back to the NBA? Maybe they have been in the NBA. Maybe they're just really good overseas players. Who are some guys that you're really excited about? Yeah, well, Ryan Mikesell on on Dayton, who's going to be on the Red Scare team, um, that's someone who, because of Obi Toppin, like didn't really have an insane senior season stat-wise. But watching him, like you know that he – could potentially be a, a fringe NBA player or a really good player overseas. Like he's long, he's tall, he can shoot, he can drive, he can finish. And I think him playing well in the TBT, def, even cons- like considering the competition this year, like he might be going up against good overseas. Well, he will be. He'll be going up against good overseas talent and good college talent from even guys as recent as this year. And then if they're playing Bayheim's Army, you could see a matchup up with a guy like Malachi Richardson. Like, I think he has a chance to prove, like, I know I wasn't the best scorer on Dayton this year, but I'm an NBA player. I'm an elite. I'm an elite EuroLeague player. Yeah, I – you mentioned, like, a guy like that is what I'm excited about. I'm excited about the guys who are coming straight out of college and playing. Like, guys like C.J. Jackson and Keyshawn Woods last year, you know, a lot of guys are either preparing for the NBA draft or they don't want to get hurt because they have a whole career in front of them, which you, I completely understand. But at the same time, like basketball players want to play. And those are the kind of guys like that are playing in the TBT. They don't care about, you know, they're just trying to poop, you know, they're just, they just want to go out there and hoop. So on the same note as Ryan Mike Sell, um, I'm most excited about Caleb Wesson. Um, you know, I might be a little biased being, you know, he was my teammate, Ohio state Buckeye. Um, He's like the first player ever to forego eligibility and play in the TBT. And, mm-hmm. you know, he probably, if the NBA draft process was the normal draft process, he probably would have foregone the, his college career anyway his last year. But now, you know, he's using the TBT to showcase what – it's like the best NBA trial you could possibly have. You know, yeah. like yeah. he – he, you know – at Ohio State, he obviously was spoon-fed the ball. Like, he got to do whatever he wanted to. He could shoot threes. He was on the block, blah, blah, blah. 
he's got more stuff to his game. Like, you know, people use a different word, but we'll go with stuff. He's got more stuff to his game. And so I'm excited because he's going to be, you know, the number one option on Big X. Like, is he going to be the number one option? Because Not probably because guards kind of dominate the big, the, the, the TBT. Um, but he's going to be him and Nick Ward on opposite blocks. is going to be really fun to watch, but Caleb specifically, it's like an NBA tryout for him. So I'm, it's really, it's going to be really, really cool to see how that works. And who knows if it works unbelievably well for him and NBA guys are calling him left and right. And he turns into a first round draft pick. Maybe you see guys in the future going, you know what? I'm a fringe guy. I'm a second round, first round guy. Um, I'm going to play in the TBT and I'm going to, and, and I'm going to show, you know, Hey, like, Here's what you're here's what you're getting if you draft me. Yeah, and another guy yeah, that, that signed this week is Royce White with Iowa United. And I'm excited to see him because that's a guy who has bounced around all all areas of basketball, similar to an Isaiah Austin type player where like un, unforeseen reasons cut short his what seemed to be likely good NBA career. So I think, yeah, so I think that's a guy who could, could make some noise in this tournament and be like, I am back. I am good. And maybe he's not, maybe his, his intentions aren't to get back into the NBA, but he wants to show people like I can still play. I can still contribute. And that's kind of what TBT is not, not, not about, obviously it's about winning, but like, it's guys that are saying like, I still got it. You might not be seeing my games at 4am in Turkey, but I can still shoot the ball. I can still, I can still play. I'm a, I'm a good player. So at the end of the day, we're going to see from this tournament guys who can still flat out play and guys who are like you said, Caleb Wesson, Hey, you you better draft me or someone else is going to going to, and I'm going to be scoring 15 on your head next, next, uh, April of 2026 when the next NBA season starts. <laughs> but there'll be five TBTs before that, before yeah. the NBA season starts. All right, but um, we definitely – we want to get to our interviews with John Diebler and Nick Elam in that order. You know, Diebler's a great, great, uh, great first interview to showcase kind of what we're going to be talking about with the players. Obviously, we have a little extra fun with him because he's one of our, one of our buddies. Uh, his dog actually threw up in the middle of the interview, so we had a little. I don't know if that part is that. Did that part make that the won't cut? be it? That won't be in. But but little, you know, we love our fans, and we want to tell you guys that uh, John Diebler's dog threw up in the middle of the interview. But yeah, and, and it was because of a question that Andrew asked too, which was really funny. It was just like it was like my dog hated that question, Andrew. Like. Come on, yeah. let's be better. We're journalists here. Let's be better. But then, but then the Nick Elam interview is is the other side of TBT, where it's it's kind of something that has to do with the the tournament structure, which we think will be really cool for you guys to hear. And he's a great guy, great dude, Professor Elam. So without further ado, let's get to those interviews right now. We now welcome on to Inside TBT defending champ from Carmen's crew, John Diebler. John, have you spent all of the money you won last year yet? I've got a whole bunch of diapers. I spent it all on diapers. No, I'm, just <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. No, I haven't spent it all. I'm glad I didn't because of this whole pandemic that has happened and with the uh, economy taking a hit. <laughs> that's, that's very smart of you. You know, first and foremost, I think you should be honored because you're our first guest for this 
for this yes. show. So congratulations. We are happy Thank to have you. you. Thank you. You were, like our, you were like our sixth choice, but you're the first person that responded. So Thank you, Joseph. <laughs> but, but we know you're excited about TBT. Everyone's excited. How have you been staying ready, staying in shape during the uh, quarantine and shutdowns? Um, I honestly, I've, I have a treadmill and like some, some weights in my basement. So I've been okay. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I've been able to get some work in. Um, I shoot, I shoot at my neighbor's house. So ironically, I think of like all my neighbors across the street beside me, the two across the street, the two beside me, I'm the only house without a basketball hoop. <laughs> so I've been going to shoot at my neighbor's house and yeah, I've got, got some free weights and a treadmill in my basement. So I'm good. I'm just picturing, uh, you walking up and meeting your neighbors for the first time and going, Hey, uh, do you guys mind if I shoot? And they're like, what is this grown man asking me to shoot on the hoop for? You're like, well, actually I'm a professional basketball player and one of the best in Ohio state history. My name's John Diebler. And they freak out and everyone's taking selfies and stuff. Is that how it went? <laughs> definitely, definitely not. Uh, definitely not how it went they uh i was actually really nervous to ask them but uh i mean they they have young kids and then one has kids in high school so i feel like the one in high school they're like hey you should come shoot with my kids and i was like yeah you know sometime we can do that i gotta gotta get my work in though for tbt <laughs> so have you been talking with uh with the guys does everyone seem like ready to go running back another two million yeah i mean we we have our group chat i think you know I think everyone's about as, as ready as they can be. I mean, it's no matter how much you work out, whether it's at your house, outside, going on runs, you know, you, you're not going to get in game shape until you play games. So I think that'll be the case for everyone. And the strange thing is just, you know, people who are playing overseas uh, haven't played games in a couple months with, with everything that's been going on. So it'll be um, – It'll be interesting to see how, how the games are because, you know, like I said, you don't, you don't actually get in game shape until you start playing games, and no one has played games for a while. Is, is there a part of you that's a little nervous about you guys being, being the old dudes on the block and having to kind of rev up those engines a little earlier maybe than some other guys? Uh, I mean, that probably has, has a, a factor for our, our team. But, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, myself personally, I've – I feel good mentally. I'm refreshed physically. I feel good. I've, you know, I, I, I do my cardio every other day and I lift the days I don't do cardio. So I don't know our guys will do what they have to do, but you know, I think with, with us, we're, we're kind of at an advantage because our chemistry is so good, you know, with, with everything that's been going on and people probably not being able to practice finding gyms, you know, we're, we believe our chemistry is one of our, biggest factors to winning it last year so we're we're definitely going to rely on that again I know you guys don't really you know shy away from a challenge and and I know you would never admit that there's a team or a guy that you're scared of quote unquote but do any of these new additions to TBT that have been coming out that you've been seeing stick out to you any more than the others that's a lot of good teams and I think that's the beauty of of TBT and and every year it's progressing there's there's uh, more players playing there's uh, better teams joining and um, I mean I think I just saw Nate Robinson's gonna play and Maurice Bates is gonna play I mean these are these are high level NBA veteran guys who are gonna play so um, I mean I yeah I mean I follow on social media you know what other teams are doing and 
and you know every team in this is good all of them have professional players but I mean there's some there's some very very good teams athletic teams skilled teams you know you look at teams that have played before and the Dayton team that we played last year um, the Syracuse team um, you know the Marquette team that we played and then looking at new teams team Hardfire with uh, coach Homer Drew coaching them and um, team Washington has some talent. Um, it's it's going to be it's going to be intense. The Tennessee alumni team has some some very good players, so it'll be fun. It's going to be fun, and I know I know guys are excited. I know we're excited. I I can't help but but notice that you mentioned a lot of teams and and didn't include uh, one team that's kind of close to our hearts, um, the Big X. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Big X is made up of. Um, uh, all Big Ten players for the most part, but mostly from Ohio State, some Wisconsin, but but most of them were from Ohio State and grew up watching um, John Diebler get buckets. Uh, in particular, Joey, Joey stirring the pot. In in particular, uh, we have GM slash head coach slash point guard Andrew Dockich um, slash created, Jackie Moon. <laughs> exactly, he's kind of created a pretty good team, don't you think? Or no, no, a- absolutely. I mean, I I didn't mention them, but they're. I mean, they've got some great, some great pickups, and you know, they have guys that we know, Joey, as you know, that we've we've played against in the summer. Guys that are part of that Ohio State family, that brotherhood. So, you know, we're we obviously want them to do well, but if they play us, then then it's going to be an intense game. But uh, no, they Doc has done a really good job putting together a really really good team. You know, have the Weston brothers and Keyshawn and CJ. And uh, Nick Ward, a Columbus guy who went to Michigan State, so you know they're going to be they're going to be very good, and they've got some talent. And you know, Doc, aka Jackie Moon, has done a has done a really good job, I think. There's Doc a lot is of my guy. Doc, <laughs> Doc is my guy. There's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between the teams, but I think kind of one thing that Carmen's crew does not have necessarily is the Nick Ward. Caleb Wesson type player have you heard or seen anything maybe Sully thinking about lacing it up this summer no way I don't think Sully's gonna lace it up I think he uh is comfortable in his role of of leading us on the bench him and him and Evan have done a great job and you know Dallas was coaching last year but he's gonna play this year he gives us some size and athleticism and you know with Rav and Gibbs I think you know, we're, we're comfortable with, with who we have if, if we were to match up against them. And, you know, with our guard play and what we're able to do, we, we think we can cause some problems for them. An- another thing that I think Carmen's crew is kind of lacking is uh, some shooting. And you guys kind of uh, addressed that by adding Lenzel Smith. There were no shooters on the team before, and now you got Lenzel Smith Jr. to help with the shooting because <laughs> you guys didn't have any shooting before. A um, lot of shade being thrown in. Do you see this? <laughs> Can you talk, talk? No, but seriously, talk about uh, Lenzel for some, you know, obviously he's not quote unquote in the same group sometimes when you talk about this Carmen's crew team, but obviously as much a part of the success as anyone else um, for those Coach Mata runs. Um, talk about the addition of him. Yeah, we're excited to have Lenzel on the team. He's, um, you know, he's had a very underrated career, I think. Um, like you said, maybe. When you talk about a lot of guys in, in Buckeye history and, and most recently with, with Coach Mata's guys, um, you know, he, I mean, he went to an Elite Eight, a Final Four, if I remember correctly, um, was a starter after – did he start his sophomore year? Or was uh, it junior year? I think he was a three years – I think he was, a I was gonna say, I on and off junior, junior year. Yeah. I think he, like, started some games junior year, but definitely 
Uh, yeah, I mean, or you know, Lenzel's a guy. He was a freshman my senior year. We, uh, you know, we know him really well. He's he's uh, someone that we're comfortable having on the team, and we think he can help. He's a an aggressive guy, can get to the basket, can play defense, and and can knock it down. So we're excited to add him. Do you think um, the TBT being, you know, kind of shrunk in many different aspects, whether it be from locations to the literal amount of teams? Do you think that that's an advantage for you guys being being the returning champs and being probably the most experienced TBT team there is? Yeah, I think I think uh, again I go back to the chemistry. Um, our chemistry is something that has helped us tremendously, especially last year. Because last year we were not really prepared to, uh, as you know, we were not really prepared for TBT. We were very scattered last year, and ironically, that's the year we won it. But um, you know, it's not just about having talent. We're lucky that we have very good talent, but but our chemistry is what I think takes us over the top, and that's that's never going to change. And in a tournament like this, it's not just about having guys who can play basketball. It's about knowing how to play, knowing you know the players on your team, and and we have that. We're comfortable with that, and no matter the situation, the format, we're we feel comfortable with the guys that we have. So one of the guys on Florida TNT is a guy by the name of Fletcher McGee, and he has the most threes in the history of the NCAA. Is that a matchup that you would potentially take personally and want to outshoot a guy like that, or do you not think that way? That that kid, um, the McGee, he I mean, he had a phenomenal career. I don't I don't take that stuff personally, honestly. He just had finished having a great year in Spain. Um, he's a phenomenal player. I remember watching him in the tournament. But uh no, I mean I don't I don't the only the only shooting competitions I take personally are with uh Joseph Lane because I'm for some for some reason he thinks he's a better shooter than one me. Know. <laughs> I don't remember this. It was a half court contest for with Coach Mage. He gave me Charlotte shorts. I don't know I don't know what else to tell you. Wanna know. I don't have the shorts anymore though, because one of my teammates who no longer is with the program stole them. <laughs> something that something that Joey actually has been talking about. He thinks it would be cool for there to be a TBT three point contest. Is that something you'd be interested in participating in? Yeah, I would do it. That'd be awesome. Have you ever done like a NBA style three point contest? I did. I've done one in uh I did it twice in Turkey when I was in Turkey during the All Star All Star weekend that they have. So I lost both times. One I lost in the finals. What's the uh Turkey All Star weekend like? Oh, it's a big deal. It's it's crazy. They 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 do it up. It's uh they have like a concert and everything. It's it's legit. It's pretty fun. Whenever they, I think of Are they serving the turkey, turkey to everyone? <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. <laughs> Whenever I think of like the overseas European, Japanese, Chinese like All Star games, all I can think about is the is the highlight of Robert Sacre doing a doing a the dunk contest in the dunk yeah. contest. What is wrong with you? They, no, they had a. I mean, they have a dunk contest, three point contest, skills challenge. They it's it's a big deal. That's if, cool. If if the TBT asked you. John, we want you in the dunk contest and the three-point contest. Would you do both? No. <laughs> Are they going to lower the rim for me? I used to be able to jump, but I don't, I don't know if I got it anymore. Uh, do, you, do you know what the TBT dunk contest is? Do you remember it? 
yeah, it's where you like dunk on people. <laughs> you gotta dunk on people. Yeah, I would get I would get dunked on, but I don't know if I'd be doing any dunking on people. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I meant. They're asking you to be the guy that gets dunked. Oh, just be like the crash dummy. Yeah, and you get twenty. You get half the winnings, no matter what. Yeah, I would I would do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> I, if I get half the winnings to get dunked on by everybody, sign me up. <laughs> how how quickly when you guys won the two million? How quickly after were you like we're running it back next year? Let's do it again. Uh, I think it, I mean we were we were still committed regardless. I think I mean we knew we were probably going to do it again. Um, I don't think there was ever ever a doubt in our mind about. I honestly I think we'll do it until guys are like done playing just because we enjoy playing in these competitive games with each other. Like we enjoy playing on the same team again and doing those things. So um, I could see us playing until we're, until guys are officially retired. When I, we got to ask you then, we know you just had twins. We know you're happy in Columbus. Are you, are you done besides TBT with professional basketball or what's, or what's Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've, I actually had, I, there was a couple, I had some opportunities to go overseas this year. And um, one was after my knee surgery, a team wanted me, they were like, Hey, can you, you know, my agent had contacted me. This was probably two and a half weeks after my knee surgery. And he was like, Hey, are you ready to play? And I was like, no, <laughs> he's like a team in Spain would like to bring you over. And I, yeah, I just, I wasn't ready. Um, and then I want to say in the end of February, uh, I had another opportunity to go to another team in Spain. My agent had texted me at 6 p.m. on a Wednesday night here in Columbus. He's in Serbia, so it's like 2 a.m. there. And he asked if I could leave tomorrow. So he was like, hey, can you leave tomorrow? And I you know, talked to my wife about it, and we had actually decided that we were going to do this. So I was like, all right, let's do it. Like, I'm ready. Let's go. And then the next morning, the deal kind of fell through. Don't know why it did, but it did. And then, like, a week later – coronavirus situation like really oh. exploded and i'm like well good thing that uh we didn't go overseas especially in spain because it was a it was kind of crazy in spain at the time um but yeah i was gonna go over and then my wife and kids were gonna come over like a week later so i'm definitely very very thankful that that deal did not happen but um i don't know we'll see i mean i'm, I'm I, I miss playing i definitely i definitely miss it um it's going to be interesting to see what happens with overseas basketball and kind of you know the situation after this pandemic and as teams start to to you know start back up I mean some leagues are are continuing they're trying to finish their season and there's going to be a lot of factors now so I mean I I, I would play I'm looking forward to it I want to I you know I miss I miss playing I, I think this year has helped me in a way helped me get healthy and you know kind of re- refresh because I've been playing basketball nonstop since gosh I was in like junior high so to kind of have this year to be home with my family has definitely definitely give me a, given me a little more energy and kind of refreshed me a little bit we kind of uh joke with you a little bit about how every single year Aaron Kraft says this is the last year and then I'm gonna go be a doctor every year he says it <laughs> Do you think we're going to see that happen again? Because his career was kind of cut short overseas because of the no, coronavirus. I, I think I think that's it. I think that's it for him. Just so does that mean that's it for TBT, or is he the kind of guy that can get in shape in a couple of weeks and and be back on the court for a tournament? Like I think this? he could. I I think he's going to be the guy where he doesn't let himself get incredibly out of shape. So 
Can you even picture a fat Aaron Kraft? <laughs> yeah, yes, because I've known him since he was little, and he was a chubby little kid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, he'll tell you. I, I remember when I was in junior high because his dad was my junior high coach, and he was in, what, second or third grade when I was in junior high. He was a, he was a chunker. It was funny. <laughs> so He'll tell you. He'll tell you he was. <laughs> So the, the Red Scare team for this year, which has a couple of the Dayton seniors whose season was obviously cut short, they, they're probably playing, and they feel like if they, can, if they can win this thing, it would kind of feel like a little redemption for them with their season being cut short. When you guys won last year, was any part of you like, you know what, we didn't get it done in NCAA, this, this feels like a little bit of closure, this team winning a championship? I Honestly, like – Yes and no. We don't – I mean, we've all we've all moved on from that. Obviously, it still stings a little bit um, from – even from my junior year with, with Evan and then my senior year with the year that we had. Um, you know, it, it still hurts, but I don't know if it was so much as closure. It was just like, man, like to, to be able to, to come together at this point in our careers and to still – you know, be successful and to, to win a championship and just the excitement that we had of like, man, it's, we, it almost brings you back to those college, college days because I mean, those are the best times of your life getting to play with your best friends and to, to be able to do that again at a competitive level was, was probably the best part. I think that people forget that you're an NIT champion. You've been there, done that before. We did win the NIT in our <laughs> freshman year. We don't like to talk about that. <laughs> hey, Joey's going a lot. Joey's, Joey's losing. <laughs> he, he, he tried to keep it together for that, but he, he lost it with your, with your answer. A lot funny, today today. It's only funny because me and John obviously have very similar careers in terms of both elite sh and shooters in the eyes of the NCAA and the big time, but also we went to the NIT our freshman year. The only difference is that they won it and we lost in the second round. So literally the only glaring difference I see between our careers. And you can, I agree. Well, didn't you go to the NIT your second year too, Joey? No, we didn't make it. We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joey, is that a ping pong table? Yeah. I would destroy you. Uh, I'm one of the for best those of you For those of you listening to this and not watching, <laughs> there is a ping pong table behind Joey. And John has just announced that he would destroy him in it. All right, back to we, the episode. We can, we can broadcast, broadcast that live. I would beat Joey in ping pong. I think that's – hey, we're, you're going to be in quarantine at the, at the TBT place. If, if we're allowed in for whatever reason, which we won't be, I will guarantee you there's a ping pong table there. There has to be. And we'll play. Well, jo John, that, that's a good you, – you bring something up. I want to I ask you this. So, a, a couple months ago – Joey made the claim to me that there's not one single person in the world that could beat him at every single sport. Do you think you would be able to beat Joey in every single sport? I'm trying to think of all, all the sports. I mean, he's counting like darts and stuff. Like he was saying he was going to get lucky in, in a game Listen, of darts. But the vir virtual darts on Game Pigeon, I'm top five in the world. <laughs> I am top five in the world. I'm telling you, ask Dave Lighty, I am top five in the world. <laughs> virtual. No, but, like, seriously, the, the, the argument, and I got this from 
from a barstool guy. So if the barstool guy is saying it, then obviously it applies to me as well. I was saying that there's not like between ping pong and swimming and a foot race and darts and like even like Call of Duty, if you count that as a sport, you know, like whatever. I mean, there are professional. There are professional. This is true. Players, right? This is true. So, I was just saying that, like, because we would go through the list, and obviously, my my best sport is basketball. So you eliminate. You is know, it though? It's probably not anymore, but it used to be, and so so that way, it's the only guys that could beat me in basketball is the NBA guys and the Euroleague guys, whatever, right? The professional basketball players. Well, and me in that shooting competition, and Doc, but, yeah, and Doc, not Doc. But Doc wouldn't beat you in what basketball? Oh, uh, I mean, in one on one, neither one of us would probably score. We we don't play one on one. That's not how we roll. But in a shooting contest, when I played Doc, I hadn't touched the ball in like six and a half months, and came back in the at the end of the summer, and he had been working his butt off, obviously, right? Because that's what all he can do as a as a GA is play basketball. And I, and I beat him in the first shooting contest when I came back. I hadn't touched the ball. I was wearing khaki well, that, shorts. Well, like a everyone knows Doc it. can't shoot because his, like, best, the best shot that he has is, like, a lucky miracle heave from <laughs> wherever it was against Michigan State. And he, like, he thinks he's a shooter because of that. He can't make that shot, like, nine times out of the ten. Out of ten. I, he, that, I shot, that shot makes its way to Instagram and Twitter like once every two weeks. Once every two weeks, you see like a throwback to that time. I know. When you I talk think to TBT, Doc, you're, you're reminded of it. So. TBT has posted oh, it. Ohio State my basketball shot, was posting it. about against Michigan State. Like, it, it was like, it was the end of the half. It wasn't even like a game winner. It was to go up 12 at halftime. It was a big shot. I mean, it was a big shot. But do, but do you think Doc can make that on a regular basis? No, I know for a fact that it takes all of his strength <laughs> to get it from half court. So, <laughs> But can we get back to this argument? You, you need to tell me if it has any kind of validity. I really don't like – like, I'm a pretty darn good golfer too, you know? So, like – Steph Curry, I, I stand by Steph Curry beating you in every sport. There's got to be something I can beat him in. <laughs> I mean, if we I, – I, I mean, there's – I'm trying to think of, like, archery. Are you a better archer than him? <laughs> I might be. I've done it, like, twice. I think Actually, we should set up – I think we should set up at, at TBT the – and we're coming up with all these TBT ideas, but I think we should set happen. up at TBT the, like, decathlon, where there's just ten events and the <laughs> top – and these top these top basketball players in the, in the world that are, that are the – some of them NBA players that are in between – the you and the best, so a little better than you at basketball. Okay, we should be talking about them, John or me. They're better than you, Joey. Okay. We should put them. All right. We should put them in this deck tathlon competition, and you can participate as well. Not a deck tathlon. <laughs> decathlon. I would. I would like. I would like to to see this. Funny thing is, um, you know what's funny about that is Mark Titus and Dallas Lauder and I have always talked about doing one of those and just doing that in the summer my, <laughs> doing my, my dad lot. used to my dad with his best friends when he was younger right out of college he every year they would have a triathlon but the triathlon would be like billiards pool i would um, be doing that too see i'm a really i'm really good at pool too are you okay. though i am are you good at billiards bowling? billiards ping pong and bowling all at their bowling alley they would do a triathlon like that's what i'm talking about those random sports 
I think I got you in all three of those. What's your highest bowling? What's your highest Don't bowling worry score? about it, bro. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Why? That's a that's a that's a part of this. I can well, tell you how that would go. I can tell you exactly how it would go. Joey would beat you in one of them, and John. And then it's, it's case John, John, and you would say you would say I don't care. Here's my Zell from last year. Here's my Big Ten shooting records. Here's my – you would, like, start getting really passive-aggressive and, like, firing off all the things you want. <laughs> kind of like what he's about. been doing to me during this interview. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Listen, Joey, you would, you would probably beat me in bowling, but pool and, and ping pong, you have no chance. I know. Well, your brother Jake is outstanding at ping pong, and I could, and I might have, maybe I beat him. Whoa, once. whoa, whoa, whoa! Jake. Did you say Jake is outstanding at ping? pong? I've never seen you play ping pong. Sorry, Jake's yeah, really never, good. He's he not. Never, we, he we will need to televise. We will need to you know televise this. You know who's the best though in Ohio State history? Mike Red. Oh, I was gonna say. I was gonna say Coach. I was gonna say Coach Rich, but no, Mike Red, super nice. <laughs> all right that's good to know i really do like like i i think rich i'm is really okay. good i used to beat rich rich is okay dude rich bro we used to play we used to get to practice like two hours before so that that first hour of the two hours we'd play ping pong well it's i started doing that and then like you know like you know the type of teammates i had they didn't really you know they didn't, they didn't really show up two hours before anything more shade but Andrew, he's he's on a roll today. Yeah, I'm about to I'm about to mute him. I'm about to mute him. Throwing shade at everyone. <laughs> you definitely would win. The, you definitely would win the shade throwing competition. No one could beat you in that. But hold, but hold on, <laughs> let me finish. So we started doing that, and then eventually it shifted to us playing video games. So then it would be like 2K, and then my senior year, and especially my junior year, a lot of Fortnite. We were just all huddled around each other playing Fortnite, which I know I can beat you at Fortnite. All right, we're getting we're getting way too far from from we're TBT off track here. and basketball. Joey, Joey is, is I'm gonna bring it all the way. Long. I'm gonna bring it all the way back to TBT, but it still's got to do with some teammates and funny stuff. Is Lenzel Smith Jr. gonna be treated like a freshman? Is he gonna be carrying the bags? Is he <laughs> no. gonna be picking up food for everyone, or or is that stuff long gone? No, we're not gonna do. We're not gonna rookie haze Lenzel Smith. No. <laughs> Lenzel was with us last year. He was in Chicago with us. No, we're not going to do that. He's he's on the squad. He's one of us. We've you know we've known him for a long time. That's our guy. All right, man, John. I, I do not have any questions, but you know what we're going to ask now. Do you have any questions for us? Um. Ooh, that's a good question. Let me see. No, I, I, I put me on the spot. You got to be ready. This is your third time in an interview with us. You got to be ready to ask us <laughs> questions. But have you ever said, "Do you have any questions for us?" Definitely. Yeah, we ask that like literally every single episode. <laughs> really? I yeah. need to go back. I need. To, I need to see the tapes. I need yeah. to see the tapes. Yeah. Hey, that's, um, that's all right. I got nothing right now, guys. I got nothing. No problem. Keep your head focused on the game. That that's the answer we were looking for. Carmen's crew <laughs> fans at home know that that means you're locked in and in the zone. So that was the best answer you could have given. <laughs> ladies, and, ladies and gentlemen, John Diebler, who's running it back for another 150 grand or whatever his share is. Good luck to you. Good luck to Carmen's crew. You know we'll be talking to you again soon. Yes. Thanks for having me, fellas. Of course. All right, we now welcome on to Inside TBT, Nick Elam, who 
is famous for many things, but number one probably being the Elam ending. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. You know, we wouldn't be having you if the Elam ending was not a part of TBT. But I think Joey and I know that it didn't start with TBT. So we're definitely interested in how the Elam ending got started and what crazy things you've thought of during this quarantine. So, uh, yeah, by the time that the Elam ending had been implemented in TBT in 2017, uh, that was already 10 years into the journey of trying to see this concept come to life. Uh, and actually, you could even take it back further than that. It was really in 2004, I was a senior at the University of Dayton and a lifelong basketball fan and all my housemates, we were all big basketball fans and we're all sitting around watching March Madness and you know, the game just like so many we had seen before uh, where it's a high quality, highly intense game and when you get to the most important stretch of the game, the final stretch, uh, all the air just goes out of the arena and you really see the quality and the style of play deteriorate. So we're looking around each other thinking, you know, it's so weird how the game changes so much at the end and is there a way uh, just to preserve that more natural style of play. We didn't have any good ideas or original ideas at the time, but it was a few years later. It was 2007. We had all moved on with our lives, but uh, that's when the light bulb went on that I thought, oh, wait, you know, if maybe, you know, all these different phenomena that we see at the end of the game, it's attributable to the clock, and maybe if you just got rid of the clock at the end of the game, maybe it would address that. So uh, that's where the idea was born, and even at first, you know, I was very skeptical of the idea. I thought there must be some sort of fatal flaw to it, uh, or even to me, it seemed like a gimmick. And so I really researched and explored the idea. And it took a while, but I finally convinced myself that the idea had merit, uh, and even convinced myself that it, that it wasn't gimmicky, that it would actually be less gimmicky than the style of play we see now. And so once I convinced myself that the idea had merit, then the really tough part started, which was trying to convince somebody else that the idea had merit. And that was Again, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but it would take 10 years of reaching out to people in the basketball world trying to get somebody to embrace this idea. Uh, but finally, John Mugar and Dan Friel and the folks at TBT liked the idea. They were actually the ones who gave it its name, uh, the Elam ending, and wanted to give it a shot uh, on a trial run on an experimental basis in 2017. And it worked so well there and got such positive feedback from all stakeholders that they've uh, gone all in since then. And so uh, what's nice is that, you know, again, for that 10-year stretch, it was just me out there on my own speaking on behalf of this concept. And now for, you know, two going on three years, the concept has finally had a chance to speak for itself. And so my job has gotten a lot easier because I think when people uh, see the concept in, in action, uh, that's they, they understand the purpose of it. They understand how exciting it can be and all the exciting possibilities, much more than just reading about it or hearing about it. And so I'm excited. I mean, obviously, I'm very grateful to TBT um, and excited to see this format continue to be used at TBT. But I'm also excited to see, to see and to think about uh, where the idea could grow beyond that. So, Nick, you know, we obviously, the TBT is, is become some sort of phenomenon, um, and in part because of the yield ending. And I, what, what's most what I'm most curious about is what did it look like when you were reaching out to, you know, the TBTs of the world to, you know, show what you had to offer? That must have been a little bit of a foreign um, adventure for you. Right. Uh, well, so I tried lots of different things. And, uh, you know, again, it was March of 2007 when I first thought of this, and then you know, it became really 
this, I kind of went all in on this independent project trying to dissect games and try to really scrutinize the idea in and out. And it became kind of this, this, uh, this independent research project that lasted a few months. And what I ended up with was hundreds of pages worth of data uh, that I actually sent out to people in the basketball world with a cover letter and, you know, trying at least trying to start some discussion about the idea or, or ideally trying to get somebody to implement it on some sort of basis. Uh, and I started big and you know, I started at the NCAA level and the NBA level, uh, leagues like that, the, the, the WNBA and FIBA. Uh, and, you know, from there, just trying all sorts of different things, whether it was uh, just emails or like PowerPoints or, you know, trying, trying to reach out to people, trying to, trying to get into different conferences and be able to speak on a, on a formal basis about the idea, whatever it might be. And, you know, again, if I had known at the time that it was going to take 10 years for somebody to embrace it, I don't know if I would have stuck with it, but I always felt like I was just one day away, you know, one email, one message away uh, from just from getting somebody to, to uh, give the idea a chance and to have that breakthrough. And so I think that's what kept me going. And, you know, the other part about it was, you know, even, you know, again, when I was re I'm reaching out to people in the basketball world and, you know, even if they didn't love the idea, it was th their criticism was more, well, you know, it just uh, these kind of changes don't really happen very often. They weren't really able to tell me like why, why it wouldn't work. And, you know, if somebody had been able to point out, well, hey, here's the problem with the idea. Here's, here's why it won't work. Then I would have said, okay, I mean, that makes sense. And, and I would have moved on to something else, but nobody was ever, ever, ever able to, uh, tell me why it wouldn't work and so again that's why that's one reason out of many that I kept with it and uh, you know here we are with TBT and, and again here we are with the idea of getting a chance to uh, speak for itself rather than uh, me having to speak on its behalf. So I got to figure that when you were reaching out to people you weren't calling it the Elam Editing. What was the the original name of the Elam ending. <laughs> yeah, so when I first thought of this back in uh, 2007, I called it I called it the timeless format. And even then, like I, I thought of different variations for it, where you know maybe actually in the beginning I, I actually favored a format where you would get rid of the clock for the whole second half of the game. But I also thought about an idea. Well, maybe you just get rid of the clock for the last for the fourth quarter. Maybe you get rid of the clock uh, for the last few minutes of the game, that sort of thing. Uh, but I called it the timeless format. But that's, that's kind of a misnomer because, you know, you do use the clock still for most of the game. Uh, a few years later, actually it was, actually it was 2013, I started uh, giving it just a very on-the-nose, uh, but not a real catchy name. I called it the hybrid duration format. It was a hybrid of timed and untimed. But again, it's not a real zippy name. Uh, but that was the name. That's the name that I used when I reached out to TBT and other like semi-pro leagues, uh, things like that. And then they were the ones who said, "Hey, we love the idea, but we got to do something about that name." And they were the ones who said, "Hey, what do you think about Elam ending?" And that was that was an honor for me uh, to have my name attached to it. Uh, I liked the idea that my name was attached to it, but I wasn't the one who uh, who did it because that would have been. <laughs> but um, you know, that, cause that was always one of my concerns all along is that somebody was finally going to say that they liked this idea, uh, that they were going to take a chance on it, but that they weren't going to give me credit for it. And here was TBT. They said, not only did they like it and they wanted to implement it, but they wanted to make sure that I was recognized as the originator of the idea. And that meant a lot to me. And it still does. So I can't imagine that you are, um, a professional sports league game ender by trait. Um, 
I know you kind of mentioned how you stumbled upon trying to figure out a solution to better end game. Um, but what made you think that you were the guy that should be doing it? Well, you said I'm not a professional at this. I wouldn't mind being. I wouldn't. Uh, you know, I, I've I've made it known, you know, among all the different messages and letters and emails I've sent uh, to different leagues and different sports, uh, I have made it clear that I would love to have uh, some sort of a consulting opportunity, say with the NBA or Major League Baseball, the NFL, whatever it might be, uh, you know, to, to discuss and have a seat at the table at some of these discussions about on-field playing rules. But um, so your, your question was, you know, why did I think that I was the person to do it? That's a great question because one of the things that I had to do when, um, you know, laying out this, this argument to people who, would, who are basketball lifers is I need to establish that I have credibility, but, uh, you know, you don't want, I'm still a basketball outsider, so I don't want to come off as a know-it-all. That's going to turn people off right away. So you have to be knowledgeable without being a know-it-all. And so uh, I did talk about some of my academic credentials, but also talked about, you know, how much uh, time and effort I'd put into this. You know, by the time uh, it got to, you know, where I really, um, you know, we're really ramped up this research project, I had dissected the, the final stages of, of nearly 3,000 games in the NBA and the NCAA and the WNBA. And, the, and what I'm looking for in these games are things that don't box score. Uh, so I was confident that I'm, you know, I'm the only person in the world who has dissected these games to this extent, looking at, at sp these specific aspects of it. Um, and in that way, you know, I am uh, knowledgeable uh, and the go-to guy for uh, these specific things that we're looking at. So it was all about trying to send that message up front that I'm knowledgeable without being a know-it-all and the fact that I, I love basketball. You know, it's not that I'm trying to bash the sport. I think basketball is a great sport, and I think I've got a way to make it even greater. Uh, Nick, so are you still a professor? I know you were a professor when you came up with the – or not when you came up with it, when you pitched it to TBT. Right. So, uh, yeah, currently I am in my third year, wrapping up my, my third year as a professor at Ball State University. And uh, so, you know, we're into the summer semester here, but um, so I'm in the educational leadership department. So I work with graduate students who are aspiring to become school principals or school administrators. And that stems from my own background myself as a school. I used to be a school principal. And before that, I was a, a classroom teacher, a high school math teacher. Do your students think it's cool that an idea you came up with was implemented in the NBA All-Star Game? <laughs> well, they, uh, so there's not a necessarily a direct connection between educational leadership and the Elam ending. So it's, it's never me who is striking up a conversation about it or who's bringing up the topic of the Elam ending. Uh, you know, I try to make it sure that we stay focused on, on whatever the course material is. But if one of my students wants to strike up a conversation about it and, you know, we're kind of off the clock, then I'm happy to discuss it. Yeah, I've had a few students absolutely who think uh, it's pretty cool or like, because again, I don't even really... I don't even really bring it up. And so um, I can picture some of them maybe doing a double take when they watch the NBA All-Star game or they're watching TBT. I'm like, wait a second, that, that Elam guy, that's, that's my professor. So, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of cool for them too. So you're saying that the, the day after the NBA All-Star game, you didn't come into class and, and show a video of Kyle Lowry taking three charges all because all because of your ending? <laughs> uh, I, I did not. Although, I mean, I, I got to say that, 
Um, that the, the NBA All-Star game was an absolute thrill. Um, I mean, I couldn't have envisioned it playing out any better than it did. I, was, I got to be there in person, which was really an honor. I was actually there sitting right next to John Mugar and Dan Friel. Uh, we were all sitting there watching it. And, uh, you know, going into the, to the, toward the end of the third quarter, and that's when they were going to shut off the clock, um, you know, I'm just thinking, I, I just want this game to be within 10 points here and you know as long as it's within 10 points I think we're going to see a great finish and right at the end of the third quarter I think team LeBron closed within nine points and you know my one of my concerns was that you know because originally when they when the NBA league office contacted me uh in late January they had said that they were going to set the target score as plus 35 and trying to trying to match that normal scoring rate that you would see in an all-star game now it was just a few days after that and still before their official announcement uh that Kobe Bryant passed away and so when they made the announcement about the all-star game they they were going to go with a, a plus 24 model which I thought was a very nice tribute but I was concerned logistically that that just wasn't going to be enough points in an all-star game. I thought that fourth quarter was going to fly by. Uh, but what we saw was that the defensive intensity ramped up so much, just like you mentioned with Kyle Lowry, that it, it took him a long time to get that 24 points. And, in fact, uh, Team Giannis never did get to that 24-point mark. They actually ended up playing more than 12 minutes worth of uh, game time, which I was fine with because we were seeing great basketball. And Team LeBron closed the deficit pretty quickly in that fourth quarter. Then it was neck and neck the rest of the way. I mean, the intensity was just unbelievable. And so, I mean, I, I was just thrilled. And then, you know, later on kind of checking uh, Twitter and seeing what the feedback was like. And, I mean, I, I would estimate pretty conservatively that it was 90% positive feedback on Twitter about the way that that game played out and uh you know somebody once told me that it would be hard to get 90 percent of the people on twitter to like free beer and ice cream and so for 90 percent of people on twitter to say that they like this new idea in the all-star game that that meant a lot to me and so again i think um has a lot of promise the, the nba's already kind of gone on record to say that as far as all-star games go they plan on continuing to use that format and i really really hold on to that belief that uh you know, going forward you know, at some point that they're going to introduce it into more meaningful games. You know, I, I personally, and I, I don't know what Joey's opinion is on this or not, but I did not know that it was, it was happening before the news of Kobe. I thought that that was kind of, we got to find something to do for Kobe. And they, you know, then came up with using the Elam ending. So I think that's cool to know that that was something that was in the works well beyond wanting to honor the number of 24 how much actual communication and back and forth did you personally have with the NBA and who reached out to who first yeah so that's it's a tricky question because again I mean technically I've been reaching out to the NBA <laughs> I mean really off and on for all those years um, you know whether it's by trying by calling by by emailing by sending letters whatever it might be um or seeing sometimes seeing people in the nba league office seeing them at conferences whatever it might be introducing myself or, or even they've come to my some of my presentations um you know i've been in communication with them off and on for all those years but as far as direct communication about the 2020 all-star game that was something that that took me by surprise when they called me and i still remember it was uh, January 23rd, it was a Thursday, that they called me, told me what they intended to do in the All-Star game, and kind of 
uh, swore me to secrecy until they were able to make their official announcement. So again, that was on a Thursday. And it was just uh, three days later on that Sunday, that's when Kobe died. Um, and so, and they still hadn't made their official an announcement yet to the public. And so, um, you know, in the, in the days after that, then that's when they changed the format just slightly uh, from plus 35 down to, uh, to plus 24 in order to honor Kobe. And, and it worked out great for a lot of reasons, yeah. Do you legally have to give consent to leagues and to, uh, I guess, really only leagues and organizations, or can someone implement it without uh, Professor Elam's or Professor Elam's permission? It's a great question. Also, a little bit of a tricky question. So, you know, when it comes to intellectual property, you've got uh, copyrights, trademarks, and patents. And uh, in some ways, I'm protected. You know. In some ways, it, um, you know, it, it's not easy to protect, but to the extent that I'm able to protect myself, I've, I've made those steps and gotten uh, the representation I need for that. Uh, the, uh, the tricky part about it, though, is that you know, here, I still regard the, the, the phase of implementation as still being kind of in its infancy. Uh, I think the Elam ending is still a baby, and I, you know, I want to, I want to see it grow all throughout the basketball world. So I don't want to set up too many barriers uh, for for leagues or events, wherever, however big or small, however all over the world. I don't want to set up too many barriers for them to impl implement it because I do want uh, leagues and events to be trying this out. So um, you know, right now I've never had any reason to to tell somebody, hey you know, don't implement this or, or you need to get my permission first because, um, you know, I do want to see it grow. I do want to see leagues and events implementing it. What is your dream for the Elam ending? Uh, I mean, I, I want to see it because, and, and that is, that's the right word to use. I mean, for me, this is a dream and I, I do want to see it uh, implemented and become the norm for the game of basketball all throughout the world. I, I want I want this to be uh, more of the standard style of play than than a fully timed game. And you know, even then, for me, you know, for me to get some sort of a direct benefit from it uh, might be kind of tricky. But I think to be attached to this idea, to be attached to this concept, uh, I think would introduce a lot of indirect opportunities for me that could be really exciting. And so. Uh, you know, it's fun to think about those things. But yeah, I, I, for me, I think that there's no, um, you know, there's no limit to where and how the Elam ending can be implemented in, in the sport of basketball. So it's got to that. that. Um, <laughs> are, do you have any concern for the short point guards who get fouled at the end of the game and that's the only time that they score points? Um, is there, do you have any concern for those guys like me? I'm talking about me. That's how I got <laughs> on my points. <laughs> Uh, well, what I okay, so uh, fair question. I so what I actually one one of the many features I think of the Elam ending is that now you might not like to hear this because I think it, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the big guys a little bit here. I think under the current format, that's a fully timed format. I think that the game becomes a little bit too guard dominated. You know, if you're if you're ahead. All, you know, you always give the ball to your guards because they're the best ball handlers, they're the best free throw shooters. If you're behind, you're always giving it to your guards because they're the best three-point shooters and you've got to score points in a hurry. And so in, in the last few minutes of a close game, a lot of times, or, you know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be all that close, 
a lot of times the big men don't play the same role that they would normally. And I think uh, one of the features of the Elam ending is that it really opens up the playbook. Uh, you know, whatever a team's strengths are, their full complement of plays and their full complement of players, they can still play to their strengths. So if they like to run their offense through the big man, uh, they can still do that even if they're trailing or even if they're ahead. You know, they don't they don't have to, to worry about that sort of thing. So I, to me, I think it um, I think it makes it still where big men can still play that role all the way through the end of the game. Whereas under the regular format, sometimes uh, we see them kind of uh, having to take a back seat. And I think the beauty of the Elam ending, which I'm sure this is what you um, that this is what you vision in the first place, is that the element of strategy at the end of the game is taken to a whole nother level because um, it used to be as simple as you make your three throws, you win, or, or, or you have to make three pointers to come back and score fast. There's no in between. There's no dump it down low, take the time and score. There's you, you have to do it this certain way. And now we see that teams are, you know, if they're ahead, yeah, they're slowing it down. They're, they're, they're trying to get the best shot possible. And if you're behind, it doesn't matter what you do on offense. You just have to get stops. And the strategy of basketball, it, it, it's, it's already people do their own different things. And now with the Elam ending, it just adds another degree of strategy that to do you call a timeout when it's under four minutes to try and get that target score where you want to be before. There's just what, – what comes with being a great basketball player and a great, great coach is, is knowing the game so well. And the, this addition creates something that it doesn't matter how well you know the game, here's a curveball. That's what is, is most exciting to, to guys like us who are just fans. Well, it's so refreshing for me to hear you say that because, you know, sometimes uh, detractors of the Elam inning, and again, I don't, I don't begrudge them for, uh, you know, pushing back or trying to scrutinize the idea, but sometimes I hear a criticism of the Elam inning is that it takes away strategy. And to me, I, I just don't agree with that at all because, you know, for me, you know, strategy is a grown-up word to me. And if you think about the way that games play out under the regular format, uh, you know, the, the strategy of, of fouling over and over again hardly ever works, and you don't really have any other option other than fouling when you're, when you're down. So, so if, if you're talking about an approach that hardly ever works and you don't have any other option, can you really call that a strategy? To me, I, I don't really regard that as much of a, a strategy argument, whereas with the Elam ending, again, you've got your whole complement, you've got your full playbook at your disposal still, um, and your full complement of players – you get to play to your strengths, play, play to the pace you prefer. And, uh, you know, to me, again, I think it introduces even more strategy than what we see under the regular format. So, obviously, it eliminates a lot of the fouling. But something that I, 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 we notice in the All-Star game, and I'm kind of thinking about right now, if, if one team is, is one or two points away and they're on defense – and the team on offense is three points away, and they have a guy like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you might see a foul to stop them from, from scoring. More you're strategy, not, baby. Right, but you're, you're not fouling them to extend the game. You're fouling them because they can't get three points from the free throw line. So it just at, like Joey was saying, and like you were smiling and nodding your head about, you know that even the fouling in the Elam ending – has more strategy than regular fouling is now. Yeah, and and uh, I love this question because uh, this very specific scenario, I call this the 3-2-1 scenario, and you laid it out there perfectly where, you know, the offense, they're exactly three points away from that target score. 
the defense, they're one or two points away. And the question is, you know, do you foul to prevent that game-winning three-pointer? We've seen that situation play out um, several times in TBT. I've got the numbers. I don't have them off the top of my head. But about half the time, uh, I, I, I want to guess we've seen the situation play out about 10 or 12 times. And about half the time, the defense will elect to foul when uh, – and about half the time they, they play it out naturally. So far, it's worked out better to foul in that situation. We've seen teams fare a little bit better when they foul. Um, but from a fan standpoint, when I watch it as a, as a fan, I like to see the situation play out more naturally. You know, I, I want to see that team that's on offense, you know, shoot that three. We all kind of hold our breath to see if that's going to be the game-winning shot. I think that's more exciting. So, so something new for TBT 2020 is that the way they're going to handle fouls on the floor during that untimed finish of the game. So if you see a foul on the floor, instead of going to the line for two shots, uh, the team's going to get one shot in possession. And so what that does is in that particular situation, that takes away any reason to foul. Uh, you know, the situation you talked about with Steph Curry, now you have no reason to foul Mary because he, he would get one shot and keep the ball. So you don't gain anything from that. So what we're going to see in those situations where um, that scenario plays out, now instead of seeing a foul, we're going to see that team most likely shoot a three, most likely everybody you know holding their breath to see if that's a shot and get that great moment. So I'm excited to see just how that specific scenario plays out here in uh, TBT 2020. I'm, I'm most excited uh, about the TBT, and, and especially in regards to the ending. The greatest thing is the crowd during the end of the games because I remember being in Columbus with Carmen's crew. Obviously, everyone is there for, for Carmen's crew, but no one knows about the Elamendic at this point. And they, they've heard of it maybe, but they've never seen it live. And I was sitting with Andrew Dockich, Dan Dockich, and, and um, another one of my teammates at the time, Jay Sean Tate. And the first thing that Dan Dockett says when the, when, the, when the time comes off the clock and the scores go up is he turns around and says, you guys are up three, or down three, are you going to foul? And we're like, what are the chances of that happening? Like, and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And he turns to us again and says, what do you guys do? And I was the only one that said, I'm fouling, because I, you want the definite chance to win, in my opinion. Um, you want that – at that point, you know, you were you, they were shooting the free throws and you were getting the ball most likely unless they got the the rebound off that miss. And my thought process, and it's and you you tell me if I'm wrong. It's the same thing as if um, you're up three and on defense at the end of the games now in in college or in the NBA, but mostly in college. Um, under we were taught at Ohio State under five seconds left, you don't you can't touch them because they might be shooting. But if it's anywhere between five and twelve seconds you're probably going to foul them because you want, you know, the best chance to win. It's not about how much you win by or whatever. You want the best chance to win. So all of that to say, you know, the atmosphere at the end of the game, because the fans are trying to be coaches too. They're yelling foul, 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 or shoot it. They don't, they don't know anything better than the coaches though. That's what's the craziest thing is. Um, so uh, like I said, all that to say the atmosphere at the TBT is all thanks to the Olympic. Yeah, the, the atmosphere has been incredible. And you mentioned that you were at the games in Columbus. And I've been at all the games in Columbus uh, in 2018 and 2019. Now, do you, do you remember which year it was that you were in Columbus for those games? Yeah, so, so I was there for, for both, for, for the earlier year. 
2019, I had graduated, and I was actually back in Chicago for the finals, but didn't get a chance to come back to Columbus for the regionals. But I was there for all, like all the I was there. games. I was there. Everyone. Yeah, Zolden was there though. <laughs> yeah, there were some there were some great games both years, and uh, you know, in 2018, my favorite game in in the Columbus region was it actually they had like eight games scheduled back to back on a Saturday in 2018. The first game started at like eight o'clock in the morning. And uh, in that game, I'm trying to think it was a team called primetime players was playing um, always a brave. It was a Bradley alumni team. And that was a game where we had an incredible comeback. The, the kind of comeback that I had envisioned in my mind going all the way back to when I first thought of this concept where a team was, had their back up against the wall, couldn't give up another basket. And then in that particular case, they got stops on eight straight possessions primetime players did before they came back and won the game. It was just an unbelievable comeback. And then uh, in 2019, my favorite game in Columbus was when Red Scare uh, was the University of Dayton alumni team, and that's my alma mater is, is Dayton, uh, when they played Mid-American Unity, and also their backs up were against the they, they were up against the wall. They got stops on seven straight possessions, and then a, a, a shot that would have won the game for Mid-American Unity, it rims in and out. Kyle Davis grabs a rebound, goes like his hair's on fire, coast to coast, misses a, misses a fast break uh, transition layup, but then there's Devin Oliver to slam it home, and that was just absolutely electrifying uh, <laughs> to see that kind of a, a game in on a putback dunk like that. I mean, the crowd absolutely just erupted, uh, so that was incredible. I also forgot a game from 2018 where Conference Crew, or actually I think they were called Scarlet and Gray at the time, when they won a game by, I don't know, I think by like eight points or something like that, but they won on an alley-oop dunk, uh, I think, to David Lighty. And again, it was as loud as an enthusiastic of celebration as you would see on any kind of a buzzer beater. And here it was, you know, capping off, you know, a nice comfortable eight-point victory, and you're getting the same kind of excitement that you would for like a buzzer beater. So, Again, that's, that's another one of the things I hear from people is that they – and it's been a concern all along. And even and even me in the early days of thinking of this concept was thinking, well, is this concept going to be able to match the excitement that we see from a buzzer beater? And and I thought for many, many years that the, the idea of sudden death basketball could be just as exciting, if not more exciting, or even a lot of games that are decided by four points or more. As long as the circumstances are just right or you get that great moment, you can still get all that excitement that you normally would, uh, but you just get rid of all the things that we don't like about end-of-game play, like the fouling and the stalling, things like that. It so, doesn't matter if you win by 35 points or three points. The end of the game is, is great, and part of that is, is every game has the shot, the shot at, the, at the end of the game that people, quote-unquote, dream about taking. Um, there's a game winner in every single game. So I remember to win the, the championship this past year, I mean, like two Ohio State guys who, I mean, they're big-time pros. They were obviously playing big-time college basketball. They're sitting there sort of afraid to take that last shot, and that just adds to it even more so because if you're up by 15 or, or you're tied, you have to make that last shot to win. And, and I think it's even on the basketball that every – game has to end with a made basket and that's just something that is you think about and you'd be like who cares you know I 
you know, being at Ohio State, I was the guy that was dribbling out the clock for the last 15 seconds every single game that we were up by 30. It's like you lost the crowd, you know, at that point. You never lose the crowd in these games. Well, and so it's interesting that you bring up, you know, players who, you know, normally don't get a lot of time or they only come in, you know, when the game's already in hand. And so, you know, again, there is that element where there's going to be more comebacks, I believe, and I think we've seen it play out, more comebacks in an Elam ending. So, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, um, you know, if you might normally be comfortable putting in your walk-on, say, with a 20-point lead, maybe with the Elam ending, maybe you don't feel comfortable until you have a 25- or 30-point lead. And so that might reduce the number of opportunities. That you're walk-on. losing me. Nick, you're losing me with that. Here's the big counterpoint to that, though. Okay. Even, though even though you, don't get, you might not get in as many games, you're the, instead of just being out there, like you said, just dribbling around, you know, wasting time, now you have the chance. I mean, you are, you are required to score. Now you have a ch- chance to make a shot to end the game. It's a shot that even if, if, even if you're, uh, you know, putting the finishing touches on a 30-point win, for you, that's going to be a shot that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. And fans, fans are going to go crazy. I mean, the, the, think about if it's, a, you know, if it's a milestone game or a rivalry game, whatever it might be, and, you know, you're able to uh, build that kind of a lead where uh, you're able to put your walk-ons in and try to finish off the game. You know, fans are going to go absolutely nuts to see it capped off uh, by a walk-on. And I, I call that the walk-on walk-off uh, when, when that happened. I think it'll be – Patent yeah, ending. It's, it's, it's not – you probably won't see as much – you probably won't get in as many games, but the games that you do, you have that chance to, uh, to have a memory to last the rest of your life rather than just being out there kind of dribbling around wasting time. Yeah, you, you won me back with that. Yeah, I, I – I will say that there was one game that will live on an infamy in my career um, is when I made a shot that won everyone Big Macs with like 10 seconds left. <laughs> that was as close. That was as close to a buzzer beater as I ever got. But now if there's a new ending, oh man, I'd be taking <laughs> seven shots at the end of the game, and my coach would be pulling me out of the game, saying, "Hey man, like you got it." You got to show me something right now. This is this isn't uh, this isn't the Joey Lane show. So yeah, but I'm all in on it now. I'm all in. I don't care if I have to play half as many games. If I get a chance to hit a, a three pointer to to the, have the buzzer go off, I mean, like like you said, that's what kids dream about. There you go, Professor Elam. I have one final question. <laughs> so, how does the Elam ending impact gambling? To what you've seen and to the research that you've done. Um, so to this point, I mean, we haven't had any games where there have been any official sports books, you know, putting any lines out there. But to me, I think you'll see in certain ways that the, the eliminating will have kind of a neutral effect. And I think in other ways, it'll have a very positive effect. I really don't, I really don't see any negative effects of it. So when you think about things like, um, you know, point spread or over under, there's a little bit of an adjustment to be made there, but, you know, sports books will figure it out. They've always figured out some way to step, say, one step ahead of the, the betting public, and, and they will with that. So I, th- I see that as kind of a neutral effect on, on, on point spreads or over-under. But the, the big, and I'm, I, I'm talking big impact, a positive impact that I think fans will love, leagues will love, sports books will love, is now that you know that every game is going to end with the swish of a net 
Now you have this, this natural prop bet of trying to guess who is going to make the game winning shot in every game. And, you know, so let's say you, you go into a game and you, you put money on, uh, you know, point spread or something like that. And you, you know that that, that ticket's not going to cash, but Hey, you always, you can always get right back in the game and try to, to, you know, put, put a few bucks down on who you think is going to make the game winning shot. And that'll keep people invested and in watching the end of the game, whether it's a close game, whether it's a 10 point game, whether it's a 20 or 30 point game. And I, I truly believe that that prop bet of who the player is that makes it and even maybe what shot type it is, whether it's a three-pointer or a free throw or uh, you know, some sort of a two-point field goal, dunk, layup, jump, or whatever it is, I, th I truly believe that that will become the most popular prop bet among casual bettors in all of sports. And so uh, I think that, again, has a lot of benefit, obviously, for leagues, obviously for sports books. And I think fans will have a blast with that, too, just playing along, seeing if they can, uh, you know, turn a few bucks into a lot of bucks and something like that. That's something I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to. You know, I think that may be all the questions that we have for you. We're definitely looking forward to all things Elam ending this summer. Something that uh, Joey and I like to do is we like to offer the opportunity for you to ask us any questions, if you may have them. Sure. Well, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't prepared for this necessarily, but um, I mean, I guess Joey talked a little bit about you know some of the games that he remembers for uh, in TBT past or Elamending past. So, so Andrew, is there a game that, that sticks out to you uh, in in TBT history that had a great finish with the Elamending? Well, going back to last year's championship game, which ended on a Buford free throw, correct? Yep. So a lot of people were concerned about, hey, why, we don't want the game to end on a free throw, blah, blah, blah. And my kind of counter argument to that is always, okay, well, you've already been here for two and a half hours. You want, you want the game to end on a missed shot, and then you get another overtime. You're here for another half an hour. So – I really liked that ending because, and as a, as a arguer, I would call myself, I think that is a good game <laughs> to use when you're arguing why it's not a big deal if the game ends in a foul. So I'll yeah. remember that game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because I, I, I think the same thing a lot of times too. And, and, you know, I hear people say, well, you know, they don't like the Elam ending because there's a possibility that the game can be decided by a free throw. And, yeah, to me, I'm like, well, wait a second. If you don't like seeing games decided by free throws, then you should love the Elam ending. You know, it's the norm under the regular format to see games decided by free throws, and that's the exception under the Elam ending. And so, um, you know, I know uh, people have kind of th thrown out some ideas of, of mandating that a game cannot end on a free throw, and, and I just think that there's going to be way too many unintended consequences with that. You know, under the regular format, we only see about 1% of games – end with a meaningful made basket and with the Elam ending we've seen 80 to 85 percent of games end with the meaningful made basket I think that's a pretty good improvement there um, and so it just surprises me that there's there's a few people not not many but but some that you hear that insist well you know if we can't get it to 100 percent then scrap the whole thing I'm like well I don't I don't know if I'm on board with that I'm, I'm okay <laughs> I'm okay with uh, you know a small percentage of games that ends ends with free throws and I'm glad to hear that you are too yeah. Well, Nick, we thank you for coming on. 
You're a brilliant man. Next time you come on, we'll, we'll hear about all your other ideas that, that we know you have. All right. Well, I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. We hope you guys enjoyed some incredible interviews from two guys that we consider to be pioneers in the TBT world. Um, expect a lot of this from us. We're going to try and go two episodes a week, uh, Tuesday and Thursday, um, you know, bringing you guys some great interviews and some great content. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what we're here to do is get people more excited about TBT by bringing in perspectives that they may not be used to hearing from. So we really, really, really are excited for all of you to hear what we're going to be bringing the next month, two months, three months, eight months, whatever it is. We are excited to be with you on Inside TBT. You know, you can follow along with us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow on, on social media that we have, which is TBD for TBT. So we definitely you want follow to follow obviously at the tournament, which is the TBT's account. We're obviously in, the, in progress of making our own stuff uh, going on. You can follow me and Zolden, um, you know, at Andrew Zolden 23, right? No, just at Andrew Zolden. I'm at Andrew Zolden, and Joey is at Joey Smoke 14. Yeah. So, so follow us, uh, interact with us. Tell if there's a player that we haven't had on the show yet, or a coach, or something. Tell us, and we'll get them. We on. have access. We have access to the entire vault. Okay. Yeah. Any person you guys want on, we can have on. We want to hear what you guys want us to talk about. If we're not talking about your team enough. Let us know. You guys want to hear more about your, um, I don't know. The, Florida TNT, even though we'll probably talk about them at some point, let us know. If you guys want to hear more about the House of Pain and Mike LaTulip's team, um, then, then let, it, let us know. We're more than happy to talk about, you know, if John P. from Iowa wants to hear more about the Iowa elite team that, that's in the tournament. Iowa United. P, Iowa United. Iowa okay? So, uh, another thing. If, if someone like LeBron tweets TB, hashtag TBT throwback Thursday to when I was in high school – that's good enough for us. That counts as TBT. We'll try to get them on. Yeah. No, anytime you see the hashtag TBT, even if it's on a Thursday, it's about us. So just get that through your minds that we are everywhere, okay? And we're more than happy um, to be everywhere and stuff. So, yeah. But, yes, again, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back later this week, Thursday, episode two. If you're listening all the way to here, we got a, a Florida TNT player and a Red Scare player on Thursday. That's all we're going to tell you. And both were mentioned in the show. Might as well say that. Ooh, I mean, so, now go, so now go back and go re-listen. Unsubscribe, resubscribe, like it, comment, and it should take you right to the beginning of the episode when you can hear exactly what we're talking about. Zoldan did a great job of uh, mentioning every guy that we've ever interviewed during this episode. So, yeah, you should be able to find him. Yep. All right. This was Inside TBT.